0: Friends, if you could turn in your Bibles, please, to um, Exodus, uh, chapter uh, 34. It's uh, page number 137 in your pew Bible. Exodus 34. I'm going to read from verse 1 through the first 8. This is the Word of God, Exodus 34, verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, Cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. So be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you, and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before that mountain. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first one. Then Moses rose early in the morning and went up Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long suffering or patient and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. By no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. So Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Amen. Now, we're going to turn again in the word of God for reading this time to the New Testament. 1 Timothy chapter 1, 1 Timothy 1. Now you'll find that on page uh, 1819 in the Pew Bible, 1819. We'll break into the chapter at verse 12, read through to verse 17. So 1 Timothy chapter 1, work your way through Colossians, Philippians, Philippians, Colossians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, uh, you come to 1 Timothy, we will break in and hear the word of God as it's found here in verse 12. Paul, writing to Timothy, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent or violent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief and the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief however for this reason I obtained mercy and in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering or patience as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honour and glory for ever and ever. Amen. Well, Francis, let's bow in a moment's prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given to the Lord Jesus Christ that name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue confess him as Lord to the glory of the Father. We thank you that there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And you, yes, you are the God who is immortal and visible. You're the only wise God, and yet you reveal yourself to us in the person of your Son. And so, Lord, we would humbly pray that as we study your word that the spirit of God will enable us to understand what it says and that beyond the voice of a mere man we might have the we might have that direct encounter with you the living God so that what happens is not simply the discovery of some fresh information but is actually an encounter with you the living God pray that we would have this through your word Because only you can accomplish this. Pray that you would grant it to us as we look to you and you alone. In Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. 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 Friends, we are currently in a little series on the fruit of the Spirit. Um, Please remember that these are not the fruits of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit singular. And we have in this fruit really, which is an expression, if you like, of full-orbed uh, Christlikeness. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit, as you know, is found in Galatians 5:22 through23. and we are told is love, joy, peace, long-suffering or patience, kindness, goodness, uh, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such. There is no law. Now, not only have we been pointing out that it's singular, but we have also been pointing out that this fruit is not artificial. It's real. And that it's a, well, it's as Jesus taught, beloved. It's the true evidence of Christian discipleship. It is, says Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount, it is by their fruits they will be. Knowing they will be known, and and it's wonderfully—it's a wonderfully attractive picture in a world that's increasingly unattractive. Isn't it a sad reflection of the society that you and I live in? That the social interaction of our day um, is so often, and increasingly so often, marked by spite. It's marked by hatred, it's marked by all kinds of abusive language and intolerance. And so isn't it a wonderful thing to move amongst the people of God and to encounter at a very realistic level a genuine understanding of love? Wasn't that the first thing that we looked at with respect to the fruit of the Spirit? We looked at, at love and what that Entailed, and it's wonderful to move among God's people when that love is being manifested among us. The second one was joyfulness—a uh, joy, uh, obviously, that is uh, opposite uh, to um, well, it's not sorrow, is it? When we talk about uh, biblical joy, uh, it's a—it's uh, not um, you know that the the Christian doesn't encounter sorrowful moments. Of course they do, but the Bible tells us that we can still uh, rejoice in sorrow. Uh, We can be sorrowful and yet rejoicing. Uh, So joy is not the opposite of sorrow. It's actually what's the opposite is hopelessness. We are not a hopeless people. Uh, Our hope is in Jesus Christ. And uh, we have the attractiveness of the third thing we looked at, which is peace Boy, in an angry world, you know, the fact that uh, uh, we need peace and uh, we're able to experience that peace is something that is a that is a tremendous blessing. But this morning we come to uh, this uh, next element, uh, long-suffering or patience. Now that phrase, long-suffering, we perhaps don't use that um, as much as we would use patience. But long-suffering seems to have originated back in the 1530s and the 16th century, meaning bearing wrongs without retaliating, bearing long, suffering long without retaliating, patience on their offence. I'm going to stick this morning to using the phrase patience as opposed to long-suffering. Now, just think about that for a moment. The real impact of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the real impact... Of the good news of Jesus, the best um, evidence of evangelism, if you like, or the best approach to evangelism, takes place in and through the lives of those who embody the message that we proclaim. So, yes, as uh, you know, students, as you think about your mission weeks and things, and um, what you're going to plan for mission weeks, you know, your best um, means of evangelism. Is a, is a life that proclaims uh, what you actually profess to be. Indeed, to the extent that we don't embody the message that we proclaim, uh, we make it relatively easy for people to turn around and say, well, so much for Christianity. And if they don't see uh, people who are on the ungodly, if they don't see uh, a marked difference in your life, uh, they 're going to say well what 's the difference? you know do, you do the same things as I do the only The only difference it seems to be is that you know you go to church on a Sunday and you have a wee bit of religion in your life uh, and you see when these graces that we 're looking at um, take hold and take root in the life and are manifested in the life um, they they enable us to exhibit you know that well orbed Uh, Christ likeness because that's what God's um, doing within our lives when we come to faith in Christ he is making us more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ so when there is within us a life uh, of love you know that's shown to the lovely uh, the loveless when there is joy in the reality of deep sorrow that we find ourselves encountering from time to time when there is peace, uh, when turmoil and trouble fades our lives, then it causes people to wonder. It causes them to wonder how you are reacting and why you are reacting differently uh, than they do. Uh, and, of course, the, the reverse is, is also uh, a, a true. It's a sad indictment when onlookers see little evidence of this fruit in the lives of those who profess to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, The second president of India, uh, uh, Dr. Radhak Ishnan, he, he, uh, on one occasion, he was addressing his community and he challenged the Christians who were listening to him. And he said, quote, you claim that Jesus Christ is your savior, but you do not appear to be more saved than anyone else in other words I hear what you're saying I hear your story but I'm not seeing any evidence well that's quite challenging isn't it what gospel is seen in you from day to day what do people see in you it's this very matter that we're confronted with this morning when we come to this fourth element and the fruit of the spirit, namely patience. So I want to look at it from two angles. First of all, how it is to be defined, and then secondly how it's developed first of all definition and starting, you know, where the only place really where we can start, and it's not in a Oxford English dictionary, it's starting with the Bible. It starts with God Himself. When God reveals himself to his people in the Old Testament, he consistently does so in terms that establish the fact of his patience. That's why we read from Exodus chapter 34, particularly verses 6 and 7 earlier in the service. Because there we have God's encounter with Moses. And we read there, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, Patience and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. You see, He is a God who's who is patient, but we knew also that uh, there will come a day when He will execute um, His justice. I uh, wouldn't go as you know. We know God's patience is God's eternal. But, um, you know, there's going to come a day when he will judge the living and the dead. He's going to judge the wicked because he goes on, doesn't he say in that chapter in Exodus, he by no means clears the guilty. And he visits the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. There are consequences to sin as our nation uh, is experiencing But for now, beloved, the story is of his mercy, of his patience, his forbearance, his peculiar kindness. And that message ringing out from God is seen as you read through the Old Testament. You see it in the journey of God's people throughout the Old Testament. So, for example, um, you'll be familiar with the story of Jonah, the prophet who is Uh, Dispatched by God to to go to Nineveh. And the idea of heading to Nineveh doesn't particularly appeal to to Jonah, and he decides to go in the opposite direction. And we know that he's uh, swallowed by that great fish, he is spat up on the land, and he eventually does what God had told him to do. And that is, he's to preach to the people of Nineveh the patience of God. And the need for repentance. In fact he says you have 40 days to repent. And if you don't repent within those 40 days. Judgment is going to fall upon you. And we know what happened. As Jonah preaches. The people respond. And many of them repent. And Jonah is actually angry about it. And he says in chapter 4 verse 2. When he's talking to the Lord. He says Lord is this not What I said was going to happen when I was back in my own country. You know that you're a God who is patient. You're a God who is kind. You're a God who is merciful. And you're going to save that lot. And that's exactly what you've done. And he's angry with God. Now, the prophets bring this message again and again of God's patience. Of God's long-suffering. And that patience, you see, it's defined in terms of the nature and character of God. Our God is so patient with us. Isn't he patient with us individually? How often we stumble and fall as we were thinking on Wednesday night at the Bible study. How often we trip up and yet God is so patient with us. And then when you jump from uh, Malachi into the New Testament, we're not surprised to discover in the New Testament, it reiterates exactly the same theme. For example, the Apostle Peter, when he's writing his second letter, he warns his readers of the fact that they can anticipate that people, unbelieving people, will actually scoff at the gospel. And so the followers of Jesus, you and me, if we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, we proclaim this Wonderful message that Jesus has sent us out to proclaim. And we want to proclaim once we become Christians. Boy, this is a, this is a word that the world needs to hear. And so we proclaim that Jesus Christ is the creator. Uh, you know, that he spoke. And that everything came into existence in the space of six days as we're told in Genesis. And we proclaim that. We proclaim that he is the Messiah. The one who was prophesied in the Old Testament. And he came as it was prophesied. And he came and he died. He died that uh, sacrificial atoning death. And that he was buried. And three days later he rose victoriously from the grave. And he ascended 40 days later into heaven. And this same Jesus that we proclaim and that we preach. He is coming back again. He is actually going to return and so you go out and proclaim that to people and Peter says you're going to get laughed at people will scoff they will say well they'll deny the the beginning of it and they'll deny the ending of it God didn't create it all came about by random process and chance over X amount of billions of years and he's not coming back again Because everything's just going to continue as it is. Where is the promise of his coming? You know, everything has been going on like this forever. And there's no reason to believe any of these things that those Christians are saying. And what does Peter say? Well, Peter says uh, you should make sure you don't overlook the fact that with the Lord, a thousand years is a day and a a, a thousand years is as a day. And, you know, some people then jump on that and say, but didn't you say he created in six days? Yes, he did. Uh, and we know it's a day, a literal day, because you've got the Hebrew word Yom, which, uh, you know, marks out the evening and the morning. But we know God's eternal. And uh, he is uh, the Alpha and the Omega. And we know that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. But on account of his patience and his long suffering, he's bearing with us. People take that slowness to be uh, an indication that there is no God. And that we can just carry on doing what we're doing. But that is not the case at all, friends. You say, well, what is it then? Well, he's being patient. He is being patient toward us. Particularly those who have been unrepentant. He doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. The patience of God in tolerating the resistance and the rebellion of men and women throughout all of time and in every generation displays the wonder of his love, granting the opportunity for men and women to turn from their sin and to embrace him. You know, when Paul writes his epistle to the Romans in Romans 1 we'll look at this again in a couple of weeks time when we uh, come to look at goodness and kindness but in Romans 1 Paul says don't make the mistake of thinking that uh, you know God's goodness and his forbearance and his patience with you is an excuse for you to continue in your sinfulness Because don't you know that the goodness of God towards you should lead you to repentance? And Paul knew a lot about that. Because basically his testimony was about a patient God. You know, that's why we read from 1 Timothy chapter 1. And if you have it uh, in front of you, if you have it marked in your Bible and would like to go to it again that uh, that's a testimony that Paul is sharing with young young Timothy and he says I thank Christ Jesus our Lord in verse 12 wasn't it? I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful he put me into the ministry although I was formerly what I was formerly a blasphemer I was a persecutor as a violent man, an insolent man. Now that's some CV, isn't it? So how was life for you, Paul? Before you became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I blasphemed. I persecuted those Christians. Imprisoned them. Killed them. I was violent towards them. I was opposed to everything they proclaimed. I hated Jesus. And I hated his followers. Well, Paul, what did you do? Did you just turn over a new leaf? Did you decide to, uh, you know, just change your mind? Decide that you just didn't want uh, to follow the uh, aggressive route anymore and just get on to a more placid route? Is that what happened? What happened to you, Paul? Verse 13 and 17. I obtained mercy. That's what happened. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ was exceedingly abundant, with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief. And all of us in our minds are starting to argue with Paul and say, no, Paul, you got it wrong there. Because I'm the chief. I'm the worst of sinners. And Paul says, however, for this reason I obtained mercy. That in me first, and Paul argues back the worst of the worst. In me first, Jesus Christ might show what? all patience as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life and then that doxology now to the keen eternal immortal and visible to god who alone is wise be honor and glory both now and forever amen the patience of god beloved manifested in the child of god in order that the person who says, well, I'll get around to this Christianity thing in my own time, might be made aware of the fact, simultaneously of the fact, that that the return of Jesus will come as a thief in the night. You don't know when he's going to come. And that our dying day may come in a moment too. We need to be ready for the day in which we depart this life. And in light of that, the wonder of God's love is a pursuing forbearing patient love. That was the type of patient love that sought out the Apostle Paul and sought out us, who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the patience of God which defines the patience that his children are to show to others. Which brings us to the second angle. How is this developed? Well, it's not developed by um, you know sitting on a deck chair. It's not developed by sitting on your living room sofa drinking cups of tea. Patience is not something that can be gleaned from a little book with a chapter, you know, titled Seven Ways or Seven Steps to Patience." Well, you may have books like that in your bookshelf. Some of them may be helpful, but it's not the way the New Testament treats it. Remember, this is not something that's external to us that we're trying to develop from the outside, but rather it's what is worked from the inside out. So you got your Bibles open. Turn to the little epistle of James. The opening verses help us with this notion of development. So it's a page... 1849, uh, 1849 in the Pew Bible. James is writing this. uh, James, a brother of uh, Jesus, as you know. He's writing a very, very practical letter. And he starts off very quickly in this realm of faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ when you're following him and you're faced with challenges. See what he says in verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into furious trials. Now what James is actually saying here is very straightforward. Trials for the believer should not be regarded as enemies or as intruders, but rather as friends. And you think immediately, you know, Billy have lost the plot. Because when it comes to trials, we want to try and distance ourselves from them. We don't want to embrace them. When it comes to trials and difficulties, we try and set up our lives to make sure that those things are on the perimeter of our lives as far as away as possibly can be. And James says, No, dear brother, dear sister... You think about these things differently. You should view these things in a very different way so that you come to an understanding of this kind of patience. Verse 3. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Boy, that's a challenge, isn't it? Now, we we have gone through love in this little series on the fruit of the Spirit. And no sooner has the service finished and you've gone home or you've walked around to that car park and you get into your car and you're confronted with the fact of how unloving you can be. And then we move to joy. And no sooner has lunch finished And you're wondering where joy has gone because you're so crabby. And then we went to peace. How wonderfully peaceful you'd been until you walked into that place of work or to your first lecture on Monday morning or you hit the first traffic jam. And then peace goes out the window but you're breathing a sigh of relief because you know come this Sunday we've got patience to look forward to and you're discreetly looking at your watch wondering is Billy ever going to finish this any time soon and the needle on your patient gauge is walking towards a little irritable the fact is patience is tough isn't it and if you think it's hard listening to it should try preaching it. You know, I've been working on this through numerous interruptions during the course of the week. And patience was tested. What has God brought into your life? Who has God brought into your life? Maybe even for a moment. During the course of the past week or so. That exposed the lack of love. The lack of joy, the lack of peace, the lack of patience, or conversely, who has God brought into your life? What has God brought into your life that's enabled you to see that actually, you know, this little series, you know, is having an impact because I was able to act, react in a loving manner in that situation, and be able to show a bit of patience it came away from it and was actually joyful whereas maybe a month or so ago it would have reacted entirely differently and of course if that's the case and you're patting yourself on the back you have to guard against uh, you have to guard against pride which is another sermon in and of itself isn't it but, but you see what I'm saying friends it's a constant battle and you can see how desperately we are in need of the work of the Holy Spirit how desperately we require him to come to us again and again and again and develop the, this fruit in our life. Because how prone we are to set our own agendas and to set our own you know, sense of satisfaction. And James comes along and he helps us here because he gives us a whole new perspective. Look at what he says, counted all joy when you fall into furious trials. Three things to note. Number one, trials are inevitable. Number two, trials often come right out of the blue. And number three, <laughs> trials come in all shapes and sizes. And GM says by means of this testing environment, patience is developed. And so the thing that we have to understand is that the benefit that we receive from trials and difficulties is largely dependent upon how we look at them and the manner in which we handle them. You know, trials do not in and of themselves have the capacity to form patience in us. It's the Spirit of God who works patience in us, produces increasingly that fruit in us if we're believers. Trials come, as one of the old Puritans said, to prove us or to reprove us. In other words, one person may respond to the trial in such a manner that they increasingly become bitter and angry and disengaged, while another facing exactly the same trial, the same circumstances, faces the trial and it produces in them a positive response a response that is clearly beyond this individual beyond understanding and relationship to the circumstances that they find themselves in and there's only one explanation to it there's a higher power working in that person's life that's enabling them to act the way they're acting And that power comes through the working of the Holy Spirit in the life. You see, when we're mistreated, and we're all mistreated, aren't we? When we're mistreated, whether it's at home, school, uni, wherever, Morrison's car park, how do we handle it? How do we handle it? When we're confronted by the fact that people don't actually meet our expectations and our standards, how do we handle it? Well, the expectation of the New Testament is that we are to be patient. Paul in Colossians 3 verse 12 says, put on, clothe yourselves with patience. Now, you might say, Billy, I thought you said it was internal and not external. It's external in its display. It's internal, obviously, in its creation. The seed is planted and God's spirit nurtures nurtures it, develops it, but it's displayed outwardly in the life. What gospel are you preaching? What do people see in you? The display gives the evidence of the internal reality. And what James is saying is simply this, that by this means... We become in practice what we know ourselves to be in principle. My beloved, when you think about this, the purpose of God in our lives is so often mysterious. We understand that. You know, why does God disappoint us? Why does God throw a spanner in our works of our plans? Why do things go horribly wrong? Why don't we get everything we ask for every time we ask for it in the time frame in which we want it? Well, beloved, it's because God is patient. And we know his ways are mysterious at times. We know that there are dark providences. We don't always understand what's going on. We don't always have the answers. You know, you have the The little things that enter your life, the little irritable things that just drive you bananas. What's what's God doing? He's creating patience in you. He's molding you to be more like Jesus Christ. And when those things happen, you sort of stand back a bit and say, well, what does James say? Instead of getting angry at God, you step back and say, well, what does James say? Well, James says we can actually rejoice in these trials because God is doing something. God is doing something positive here. So, we've looked at how patience is defined. We've looked at how it's developed. So now, just very briefly, by way of conclusion, how is patience displayed or demonstrated? Now, this could easily have been a third point, and 15 minutes into the third point, with three subdivisions already to go, that gauge on your that needle in your patient gauge has just moved past irritable to exploding. And we've got a, a practical, you know, example of how, or a practical application of how this is actually working out in your life. Many ways, you know, we could uh, talk about how this is displayed, but certainly one area is the area of forgiveness. You know, God is a patient God and that patience is revealed in the area of forgiveness. Remember in Matthew 6, verse 14 and 15, after the the Lord's Supper, or after the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you your trespasses. Now what's going on there? What does that mean? It certainly doesn't mean our forgiveness of others, earns us the right to be forgiven. No, this is not quid pro quo, okay? It's not, you do this and I'll do that. So what does it mean? God forgives those who are truly repentant. God forgives those who acknowledge that they're on the wrong side of the equation. God forgives those who acknowledge that they're marching to the wrong drummer. God forgives those who acknowledge that they are way up the broad road. God forgives those who acknowledge that they're not on the narrow road and they want to be on the narrow road. God God grants forgiveness when people call out to him, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord, forgive me, the insolent, the rebellious, the violent, the arrogant. Forgive the blasphemer. Forgive the one who has spurned your love, whatever it is. And how patient God has been with us over the the decades, over the years of our lives. God is patient. Because God is longing for you to turn to him so that you can be truly forgiven. What's your response going to be? If you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, what is your response going to be? God's forgiveness is granted to the repentant. And one of the evidences of being truly repentant is for having a forgiving spirit towards those who have offended against us. It's not like the unforgiving servant, isn't it, in Matthew 18? You know, the guy who had a mountain of debt this size called into the king. The king says, You're going to prison until you pay that. Falls down before the king and says, Look, please, please be merciful. The king says, right, your debt's forgiven. He goes outside and he finds he finds a guy that owns him a penny. Give me, give me uh, that penny you owe me. And the guy says, can't. Be patient with me. And the guy grabs him by the throat and says, no way in the prison with you. And the king hears about it and says, haven't learned your lesson, have you? How can you who have been given, been forgiven so much, this mountain of debt, and that you turn around and you won't forgive this tiny, tiny little speck? And how are we as believers? How does that manifest in our life as believers? God has forgiven us all our sin, and yet there's a brother or sister who's snubbed us, maybe unwittingly, maybe wittingly Who knows? brother or sister who's offended us i'll never forgive that person god says you have not learned your lesson if you have been given an enormous amount of debt by me and it's all washed away then don't you dare say to me i will not forgive my brother or my sister doesn't work like that he says and what have you said to your brother or sister who has wronged you? You know, forgive you, and they still persist in being awkward, obnoxious, etc., etc., etc. Jesus said, What did Jesus say to Peter? Peter comes and says, how, how often will I forgive this brother who offends me? Seven times. And then after that, I can stick the boot into him. Jesus says, No, not seven times. 70 times seven. You just keep being patient. You just keep being merciful. You just keep being forgiving. You just keep being kind. Because in doing that, you will be reflecting something of my character. And maybe through doing that, that person will be touched and they'll also come into line. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for for what you've taught us this morning about patience. When it comes to patience, Lord, I think, well, certainly i got to confess, am not as patient as I should be. And the least little distraction can just start getting us irritable. And yet, Lord, it's through this fruit, this fruit that we've been studying, that uh, you make us more and more like yourself. Pray, Father, that you'd help us to reflect upon these things, meditate upon them, whether it's the area of love, joy, peace, or patience that isn't uh, being worked out in our lives, that you would help us to see that very often the trials and the difficulties you bring into our lives are just to rub off the the, the rough edges. And make these fruit more manifest in us. Pray Lord that you would help us to forgive as we have been forgiven. And not to be holding back or resentful. Against anyone who has offended us. Hear us we pray in Jesus name. Amen.